Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying to told, try told him I'm a beast, bud. What's up, gang? What's up, Welcome gang? to the Grindcast. Grind Simon Arias here. here. Get ready. Get it's ready. a new day. New day. What's up, gang? Welcome to another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready. It's a new day, and we have a special guest, special treat in the house. My friend, our CEO Boom. of our insurance company, Steve Greer. And we were just talking when I was coming up on who's who's the star of the show. And it's it's uh, it's cool that I'm probably last place. In yeah. the, I'm probably third sure. best star here <laughs> in this. Probably Greer's number one, Perm's oh, number you're, two, you're usually number one, and uh, and I'm last. So we're excited to 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 hear from uh, Mr. Steve Greer. Our friend who's who's at the corporate home office of our company. For those of you that don't know, it's uh, based in Dallas, actually McKinney, Texas. And uh, Greer is, is at the helm running the show. So, uh, Steve, maybe can you open up and start telling us a little bit about how you found uh, – AIL and in this company, I just your story never gets old to me. It's so inspiring. Little, can you tell us a little bit about your your background, upbringing, and and kind of how you transitioned here? Sure, sure. First off, let me say, uh, until I get my own mug like Perm, <laughs> I feel like I'm not a star. So I gotta, you know, I gotta work on the Greer swag. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got it, boss. T-shirt, sweatshirts, hats. But that mug is on another level. And uh, let, me, let me just start by saying, um, man, I'm super excited to be here today. You know, just to hang out with you guys and talk to you for a few moments. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can share something that maybe would inspire somebody to hang in there a little longer. Or maybe somebody to take the step, you know, another step in their career. And um, I think what you'll find out um, from talking today is that this definitely isn't a perfect story. Um, not a perfect guy, a few ups and downs, but, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take you back early, early, just a little bit of upbringing. And the reason why I want to do that is I think if I don't potentially, some of the things I say could come out the wrong way. Oh. And if you sort of know where I came from, then I think it'll all come together and make a little more sense. Um, as a, no sooner than I was born, my parents were divorced. So I started out with a single mom. And, um, and, um, she, she got remarried and, uh, that didn't work out and we were kind of plugging along and, and I was living in Louisville, Kentucky, um, sort of inner city, the Hazelwood area, there's housing projects there. We lived in the housing projects. Then we upgraded to move right on the edge of the housing projects, but oh. it's kind of like a group effort. My cousin Dorian and Duran, you, you guys might've heard of they're with American income as well. Um, they uh, lived right there. And so a lot of the time I lived with them and, and both of our moms worked. So when one mom was working, the other one was babysitting and back and forth, you know, we kind of went, well, around the time I was, I think about nine, my mom got married for the third time. And uh, let me, let me stop and say, cause I think this is important. Even though my, my, my mom and dad, my biological mother and father got, you know, divorced when I was born, I was still fortunate to have a dad that was at least, uh, get me every weekend and stay involved on some level. And, uh, you know, for all the guys out there who, who, uh, have kids and sometimes the relationship doesn't work out, I would encourage you, uh, to do the best you can to, to, you know, um, be a father to that oh, child. Wow. So anyway, my, my mom got married for the third time. This time she hit gold. Um, my stepdad, 
uh, was a great guy. Uh, really what he brought to me foundationally um, uh, through his example was the spiritual side of things. He was, he was a guy that would get up every day and read his Bible. Um, he did some small time preaching on the side at nursing homes. And I would go with him as a little kid uh, and go to nursing homes. Um, he was a maintenance man. He never made a lot of money. Um, when him and my mom got married, he had two kids, she had two kids, and then they had another one. So I was one of five all of a sudden. And, uh, I'll never forget. He was making $6 an hour. Um, which back then, I mean, that was a decent wage because minimum wage was like not a whole lot, but with five kids, it just wasn't enough. And so my mom also cleaned houses, both, uh, residential houses in some new construction, kind of get those houses ready for somebody to move into. So when I was 12 years old, I started working with her cleaning some houses to make some extra money. And then when I was 14, I got my first commission job and uh, I was super excited about my commission job. I got paid a quarter a case. I went to work for a buddy of mine. Uh, his mom worked at the uh, Lackland commissary. Uh, we had moved to San Antonio, Texas, and uh, I was stocking groceries for a quarter a case. And I was super excited to do that because I could make enough money to buy lunch at school. Mm-hmm. Um, I could make enough money to buy shoes. And to me, this was all a big deal because just briefly stepping back just a short time before that, you know, we got free lunch at school. We got stood in line and got free government cheese. I was raised on you know, government cheese, which I have to be honest with you. I was always, I was excited about it when I got it. You know, when that time of the year came around. I loved it. Yeah. No, uh, it's funny when I talk about that, it makes my mouth water for, you know, (laughs) just thinking about it. (laughs) For those of you that haven't had that opportunity, but anyway, um, I, I, the one thing I do remember was, um, you know, my, my, my mom and my stepdad, when, when you'd say, Hey, I want some shoes or, Hey, I want to this or I, that the answer to everything was always, you know, we don't have the money. Mm-hmm. We don't have the money. We don't have the money. Mom, I need, I need a pair of jeans. We don't have the money. I need shoes. We don't have the money. Mom, what's the weather going to be out today? We don't have the money. You know, <laughs> what I mean? It was just, that was just a standard yeah. answer for everything. And I, I remember as a young man thinking, you know, man, I don't want to live like this. I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to live where every, like literally it's funny. Cause I think a lot of people think uh, rich people think about money a lot. Be quite honest with you. We were thinking a whole lot more about money when we didn't have yeah. any, yeah. Than when, we, than when we did have some, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, I remember my, my dad, me, me saying to him, you know, man, I, I want a better life. I want better things. And he said, well, Steve, you know, the reason why nobody in our family makes really good money is nobody went to college. And if you, if you want to make good money and all the good jobs, you know, good job, mm-hmm. kind of an oxymoron, but um, if you want to make good money and have a good job, you got to go to school and get an education. And I'm sure there are many people on here today, their parents told them the same thing. So um, I went to school, um, went to Western Kentucky university, um, got a finance and accounting degree came out of college, couldn't find a job, probably like many of the kids today, um, was frustrated. Uh, I was ambitious, uh, but I was frustrated and I was looking for an opportunity. 
And um, I was fortunate. I ended up getting a lead from uh, my wife, Dana, from her mom was working for GE and uh, General Electric. And so I got an interview with General Electric, went to work for them. And so for the next five years, um, I was a I was a mover and a shaker. And and if there's a little nugget that I can tell uh, any of those recent college graduates. So I graduated college. I was, you know, 22 years old, 22, 23. By the time I was 25, two years later, I had read over a hundred self-development or leadership books in a two-year period of time. And why I bring that up is because no matter where you're at in the workplace, wherever you're at in life, you can stand out. And what you're putting in your mind is what's going to come out. And at GE, they were like, this kid is saying stuff and doing stuff. I was reading The Magic of Thinking Big and Thinking Grow Rich and, you know, Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective. I, you know, I was just consuming all of this, not book stuff, but life stuff. Yes. Things that I could go in the mm-hmm. office and apply tomorrow. And it was like blowing people's minds. And so, you know what's crazy when, when you said that is, is you read 100 books in your first two years. You know, they, I, I saw somewhere that they say that the average CEO in America reads 50 books a year. Wow. So is, wow. is, is, is that what started the path, I wonder? You know what I mean? Because there's, there's, there's stats out there wherever they pull this from that I've read that says the average CEO reads 50 books a year. That's an average of 50 books a year. Anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Wow. That's, uh, you know, what's funny and we all read these things and you, you hear these things and, and, and Steve jobs, one of, one of his quotes that I love was you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. And here's, what's funny, Simon. I, w- I want you to imagine this. Imagine Steve Greer. I was 17 years old. I graduated from high school. I'm signing up for classes my freshman year of college. And my dad says, okay, so what kind of classes do you want to take? And I said, I don't know. You know, he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I really like the outdoors. You know, like I like fishing and I like the outdoors. I was thinking maybe like a park ranger. I was looking down at the, <laughs> at the list. <laughs> I was looking down at the list. And uh, I said, what do you think of that, dad? He said, no. <laughs> you know, like, he goes, no. He goes, what you do is you, you, you get a good job and then you get to enjoy your time off. You make money, you get a good job, make some money, and then you get to enjoy your time off. And so here's, this is when, when, when people talk about writing down goals and, and how your mind works, my dad grabs a magazine and puts it in front of me. And it's a Forbes magazine. And the magazine said on the cover, 80% of American CEOs have a finance degree. My dad said, how does CEO sound? I said, what's that? You know what I mean? Wow. He goes, that's the guy that runs the place. I said, oh, yeah, I like running stuff. <laughs> he goes, all right, we're going to sign you up for a finance degree. That's literally wow. like I, all, the, all the people that are listening today that just knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. I wasn't that guy. No I idea. was lost. You know what I mean? I was just going, I don't know. I want to make some money. I don't know what Same. I want to do. You know, I really had no clue. So, you know, after five years at GE, what I'll tell you is um, the corporate structure can hold back a person because it doesn't move to the speed 
of the uh, of many of the people that we're talking to today at American Income and in other places where you control your own destiny, it can be very frustrating if you're in a structure where just because somebody got there before you or has already been there for 10 years and you're basically waiting for somebody to retire, get fired or die to get promoted. <laughs> and that was a, a, a very frustrating thing for me as a young man because I really felt like at 25, 27, like I should be, I, I wanted more responsibility right. and I wanted, you know what I mean? To, to make a bigger difference. And it wasn't happening fast enough, which got me looking and, and many times in life, you're looking for lookers. You know, a lot of times we meet people and talk to people, they're stone cold dead. And then there's other people that you talk to that they are looking for an opportunity in right. life. They're driving around praying for it. And then all of a sudden they run into you and you could be that answer to prayer. Yep, yep. And so, you know, when, when, when you're talking to people and they have nothing and nothing here, you know, be a nice guy and move on down the road. But there's a lot of people out there that are looking to get ahead and you're, you're looking to, to surround yourself with those kind of people in life. What made you, what made you go from that? You said you were there five years with GE. Yeah. So then yep. did you transition right out into AIL? Yeah, I did. And, I did. And what uh, was the setup from that? I know Duran. I know yeah, your cousin. I I, yeah. I remember the, the the story, but a lot of the listeners yeah. don't. Sure, being sure. A park ranger. Um, go ahead, Perm. Uh, no, before being a park ranger, we wanted to be a park ranger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never got to do that, Perm. <laughs> um, so I was looking, and 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 I was always like trying to keep my eye on things and looking for opportunities and, and looking, you know, for a way. And I happened to understand from working at GE and doing some of the books, you know, I was the finance and accounting guy. I was looking Simon and I saw, uh, I got to see all the, all the payroll. Yeah. And I noticed yeah. that all the people in sales were making all the money. Yeah. And so I went to human resources and said, Hey, I want to get into sales. And they said, oh, you can't get into sales. You're in the accounting department. That, they don't get into sales. And so I quit. I, I literally, <laughs> you say it ain't for me. I knew I was like, I got to get into sales somehow. So I'm looking for sales job. I'm interviewing in Austin, Texas with a friend. I'm putting my feelers out. Duran uh, heard and he called me and said, hey, we need to get together and meet. So, you know, he did. Pardon, you know how you do these fancy when you wine and dine uh -huh. somebody, you take them out to yep. a really nice restaurant. Yep. So at the time we were in Kentucky. So he took me to Cracker Barrel. So I love Cracker he said, Barrel. yeah, let's meet, at, <laughs> let's meet at Cracker Barrel. Let's go. You know, close, close this deal. And uh, anyway, we meet it. We meet at Cracker Barrel and uh, he starts painting this vision of American income and how it worked. And I didn't really I have to be honest. I didn't really understand everything, you know, but I had faith. And I, like he was talking about renewals and I was like, wow. Yeah. I, I remember he said, uh, he said, Steve, it's like Elvis Presley income. I said, Elvis Presley income. What do you mean? He said, well, it's like where you cut the record one time, but even after you're dead, every time the song plays, you get paid. I was yeah. like, my eyes were this big. I mean, I was like, yes. And you know, there, there's a little nugget in there. Cause Simon, he was talking about, you know, leadership bonuses and how when your people do better, you do better. And what clicked and, and, and it was from like reading a lot of books. Uh, and I'd already heard this concept, but Duran putting it together 
what most wealthy people are not doing is trading hours for dollars. They have a way to multiply their time and effort. So, to, you know, you've only got 168 hours in a week, right? You, you know, you, you got to sleep sometime unless you're Simon and, and you, you know, you can. <laughs> I've been uh, getting eight. I get eight hours. Do you get it in? Good. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Yeah, well, that means you must go to bed at 6 p.m. Because I know how early you get up. <laughs> Nine to five. <laughs> Nine to five. Nine to five. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But, you know, he was explaining this concept where you could duplicate yourself, the residual income. And I could see, like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity. You're talking about no upfront investment. You know, essentially none. Get a license. Yep. You know, it's not going to cause no barrier to entry, no franchise fees, no, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then he told me, and this is like where the bell went off. He's like, and if you do really well, then there's an opportunity for, for you to have your own agency. I'm like, what? Come on. Like you could actually have your own business. He's like, yeah, it's kind of similar to like franchising is what he was trying to explain to me um, at the time. And I was just, I was like, wow, I've never I've never, now, after he got me really, really excited, we're in the parking lot. He said, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, you know, we're going to open up this office in Rochester. I'm like, well, that's funny. I've never heard of Rochester, Kentucky. He said, oh, no, <laughs> Rochester, New York. I was like, oh, he goes, hey, you wanted to get in sales, right? I said, yeah, this is Duran, Simon. I said, yeah, man, I told you I want to be in sales. He goes, well, your first sale is with Dana. Good luck. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> right? That's always the first sale. Yeah. And so uh, I thought on the way home, I thought about that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to learn something from Duran on day one. I went home and did the same thing. I talked for 45 <laughs> minutes about how rich we were going to be yep. and how exciting this was going to be and how she wouldn't have to work anymore. And at the time, we had a, a vision to get her home with the kids uh, we had three very small children. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you have to leave something good to get something great. Amen. And we packed sure. our bags, um, had a good corporate job, benefits, health insurance, all the little trappings. Yeah. And, um, and moved 700 miles to Rochester, New York. Our family thought we were absolutely nuts. My mother-in-law said nobody quits GE you come here you work 30 years yeah. you have this great pension and retirement and all this kind of stuff literally there were some upset people oh, you know when you got three babies yep. basically you know they felt like it was irresponsible but you know what I was thinking is well you can always get another job right right how how often do opportunities like this come along present itself and Amen. uh you know, burn some bridges, baby, and, and went for it. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, in, in the, the thing that always sticks out to me about, you know, your story is it's easy to look at where you're at right now and, and, and to see you happily married. Uh, I know over 20 years, you know, you've been married to Dana. You have three beautiful uh, children. Uh, six, you know, we were just talking about Bailey just made the honor roll. I mean, just they, they see all the corporate jets, private jets, CEO, all this. But what they don't see is, is, is the stories of Dana with the three kids and you're mm -hmm. out working yep. and she's cleaning things, cleaning places. Yes. Can you talk yep. about that startup phase? Because yeah. if people miss that part of your journey 
and, and mm-hmm. then I think they miss the motivation or inspiration to do wherever they are currently right now. The things that stand out to me is number one, you see, he gave up good for great. Most of the time, people, there's trade-offs. You, you, you have to to gain anything. You always got to give yep. up something. And I think the reason why people don't gain as much as they could is because the right. the, the, the giving up of, right. of of things is is usually what scares people. And then it comes then then the sacrifice. You know, people like the the outcome. If we could tell them, hey, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get private jets. You're going to make plenty of money. Sign you're going to be you're going to be married with three kids. All of them successful. All yeah. of them did great in college and and uh, be in great weather. Sounds great. Okay, you want that job? Oh, yeah. yeah how how about how about wife, three young kids, move you know away from home, and I'm, I'm working some nights and stuff. So why why don't you talk about that part of the journey that without that journey you wouldn't be here today let me do that simon i I, i'm glad you brought that up because i know there's a lot of people probably that are listening today that you know they got wife they got kids you know you gotta you gotta miss some t-ball games and some dance recitals and things like that um but what happened was when i made a decision we made a decision i immediately moved to rochester new york and started selling and what we needed to do is we had a home so we had to sell our house so in order to sell a house you know you kind of got to keep it cleaned up and the yard cut and everything in order right and so the plan was let's put the house on the market dana's going to be up here in a month or two you know that type of deal i mean like literally you know we ain't even packed right that type it's like boom go let's let's go i ain't waiting around let's let's get started so dana was also working part-time cleaning homes so um what she did was she had two friends that had kids as well so on one day dana would clean houses uh and on the next day she would babysit Uh, another girl's kids mm -hmm. and then on the next day dana would clean houses and the third girl would babysit so they had this little rotation that was going on but you know i people a lot of times ask and here's part of the story no sooner than i moved to new york september 11th happens probably one of the most devastating times mm. in our country's history. The housing market stops, the world stops. It's almost yeah. like the pandemic we're going through right now mm. where there are moments in time where big things happen. September 11th shook this country mm-hmm. to its core. It scared us really bad, you know, as, as a nation. And what happened was the housing market stopped. So for 10 months, Dana was stuck in Louisville while I was in New York selling. And so not only did you have the, the entire situation of what was going on, trying to get started in a new business, but my wife and three kids are in another state. And I tell people, you know, I know you've got to miss a dance recital and, and, you know, in a T-ball game, I missed the first, or, or his Parker was three months old. I missed the first next nine months of his life. Like you can take, you could take the year, first year of his life. And remember holding up baby Simon just erase that because I don't have that, wow. and, I, and it ain't it ain't no big deal. He don't. That's the funny thing about don't kids; remember. they don't remember. Right. You know, and part of my ass the kids. I told them I said I'm sorry I missed this and I'm sorry I missed that because there was a lot of missing those things. You know, when mm-hmm. when they were growing up, and I, and I, I I told them I'm sorry and I sat them down and had a real serious talk with them. And you know what they told me, Perm? What they tell you? They said, uh, SOK, Dad, we like being rich. Yeah, I bet that's <laughs> what they told you. <laughs> it's all right, Dad. No worries. I love yeah. the richness. No, we'll take great. it. Right we'll take it, it Dad. Yeah. In, in fact, they told me, they said, <laughs> we'll let you make it up to us for the rest of our life. 
<laughs> Truth, man. I'm Truth. You know, so, uh, uh, another thing that stands out to me in your journey was, you know, when you when you talked about the adversity and obstacle where, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a quote out there that says adversity causes some men to break and it causes others to break records. And, you know, you talked about, you know, at what point, one point of your career, you had some retention issues pop up and, you know, the, the uh, business went down and agents were, were leaving and you kind of were forced after years of being in the game to get back out there oh. and start training people yourself and selling again yourself. How many years were you in the game where you had to come back out there and make a choice? Either I'm going to fail and step backwards yep. or I'm going to grind forwards and make the rest the best. So, um, boy, that brings back bad memories. <laughs> the bad memories aren't always so fun to talk about, no. but you learn so much from them. Um, so I had, uh, I was with the company for two years, about two and a half years became an SGA. And, um, everybody out there, when they look at an SGA, they think, man, that's the best job yeah. in the world. Uh, Got it just, you just tell Got everybody it what to do and yeah. magic just happens, you know, um, until you've been in those shoes, you don't understand the level of responsibility and it is not as easy as right. it looks. Um, and I know hopefully there's some, some SGAs that, that are listening to your thing mm -hmm. today. And I know these guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's sort of like being a CEO too, you know yeah. what I mean? Same, same deal. But anyway, I, I was poking along two and a half years with the company. I became an SGA uh, pretty quick. It's pretty young man had turned uh, barely 30 years old. I uh, started when I was 28. Here I am 30 and I'm doing my deals in SGA. Things start to go pretty well. The one gift I had was I was good at personal recruiting. So I brought in uh, five good friends of mine and we started to build a great agency in Houston. Then all of a sudden we went through this quality issue, this retention of business issue that Simon's talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, people just start jumping off the ship. They panic all of a sudden when, when, you know, they have challenges with quality and they're not getting bonuses and they're not getting advanced, things start to go. And here's, here's a critical point to this story. I had done so well at this time. I was one of the youngest members on the executive council. So back in the day, Simon, only the old dogs were on the executive council. Guys that had been around 20, 30 yeah. years, you know, these type of people. And here I was, this young gun, 2005, that was on the executive council. And I was super excited to be there. And all of a sudden, my retention's tanking. My agency's falling apart at the time. Uh, just to put you in some perspective, uh, Jim and Simon weren't partners yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, Marcus, uh, and me Marcus. and Jim were in the same category. Marcus, and Jim and Marcus. What did I say? Jim, Jim, and, and, Jim and Simon. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. My bad. Yeah, of course. Jim and Marcus weren't partners yet. My bad. Marcus. I'm Marcus's uh, PR guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you're, yeah. Hey, you're, you're uh, a great product of Marcus's leadership. Yes. So. Sure. Um, Jim and Marcus hadn't partnered yet. In fact, me and Jim were in the same category. That's how long ago this was. You know, we were out battling it out in the category, but um, the business fell apart. And, you know, this happens a lot in life. Mm. This happens in marriage. This happens in business. This happens in all kinds of stuff where mm. there's that day where you have that moment and, and you're thinking to yourself, um, you know, what do I, what do I do here? And, Simon, you had mentioned 
um, several years back, I had this talk about the five stages of grief. And there, there's that first moment is sort of that denial moment. You know what I mean? Where he's like, nah, this ain't happening. Everything's going to be fine. You know, mm-hmm. that type of deal. The next moment is the angry moment. This is where you start blaming everything on the company. You blaming it on perm. You're blaming it on your MGAs. It's got to be everybody's, it's everybody's fault but mine. And then you start, the next phase is bargaining. This is where you start thinking, man, if I could pull this off, maybe if I partnered with this guy, it would get me out of here. Or maybe if I uh, uh, did it, you know, maybe if I just got uh, a loan from the bank or from the company, maybe maybe this, you know, this would help, right? And, and then that next phase is depression. This is where you're just, I mean, it's a dark, lonely place. And I, I know probably everybody's been there at one moment. Uh, you won't allow anybody in, even though they're on the outside trying to get in. And you are feeling this ton of weight on your chest of the responsibility and how you've let people down and you've let your family down and hope how, how my mother-in-law mm. was right. I should have uh, never left my job yep, at GE. Yep. All this is coming back, right. Is, is there, but what the winners do is they find that last level, which is acceptance. And that's that part where you realize, Hey, this is my circus Boom. and these are my monkeys. Boom. And if it's going to be, it's, it's up to me. I've got to dig in. And Simon, I have to tell you, and I, and I think you could appreciate this more than anybody because you've had a tremendous amount of success. I mean, tremendous in the history of American income life. You, I mean, boom, right up there, right up there with the, the two or three all time greats. Simon's been there, but when you're at the peak of what you think is good and all of a sudden if you thought, okay, to make this thing work, I'm going to have to get back out there and start all over. I'm going to have to do a little selling. I'm going to have to train a few new guys because you don't have a choice. And I got to tell you, man, I was so blessed to get some great advice because when I was in that depression piece of the stage, if you will, my wife told me something that literally changed the direction of my life because if you make the wrong decision when it's down and out yep. and you're going to have this happen multiple times, literally you change. That's a, that's a fork in the road for your life. You're probably going to end up in a different spot. Mm-hmm. And at that moment in time, you know, you start to think about plan B, you, y'all know, you know what I mean? Everybody's mm-hmm. got the plan B. So I started thinking, well, you know, maybe what I do is I, you know, I ain't leaving the company. I knew that. Um, I was like, there ain't no better opportunity. I was a top MGA in the company. I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I'll go be an MGA for a while, lick my wounds, get healed up, and maybe take another stab at this SGA thing down the road. Yeah, you know, like I'm in. And Dana said, like, just quote unquote, man, just a bu- I burned on my brain forever. She said, why would you be an MGA for somebody else when you can be an MGA for the Steve Greer agency? And literally it hit me and what she was saying is look you've got to do what you've got to do why wouldn't you just go to work steve and the simon knows and 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 even mgas that are listening today i know they know because nobody like once you get out of the field 
it's hard to get back yeah. in the field. It's heavy. Like, if you're there, stay there. You know what I mean? Stay there until Simon tells you, okay, you can come, come on out. Home. Because come on home. What, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's tough once you get out. And if you can imagine being an SGA. It's like Perm getting out of the Bentley. It's tough for him to get out. <laughs> Not really. Come on, we can do this. <laughs> He's got the car seat in the back. So we got to help him out. Well, oh, so when okay. I sit in the seat after he drives, I got to oh, brace myself. Oh, it's like, yeah. poof, it's, a, it's a long road <laughs> down. It's a long road. Anyway, sorry. Sorry about that. I love it. <laughs> this guy. No. Well, that was that was it for me. I mean, you know, the acceptance. Now, the now you're the CEO. Was. So, it, it, you know, what I've been, I haven't asked you this one uh, yet. Okay. But you know, I'd like to smoke a cigar with you in that room there. I was I was in that cigar room at your house that you're sitting in there when it was yeah. being built. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I can't wait to get over there with you. But but what are maybe one or you know two things that is harder than you expected as as being the CEO? And on the yeah. flip side, maybe one or two things that you think has been cooler or easier, you know, than you expected being the CEO. So. Um you know, one of the, the the hard thing I'd say for me, one of the hard things is you you never understand the the magnitude of the weight and the responsibility. Uh, I, I have to tell you, uh, for many years I sat and and looked at the previous CEO uh, Roger Smith, and you you always naturally make judgments. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, about decisions that your leader makes, whether you agree with them or don't agree with them. And uh, it's just a natural thing that we all do. And um, until you walk a mile in that man's shoes, you know what I mean? Yep. You, right. you can't appreciate it. And so, um, you know, what I, what I realized and, and what I would tell you the hard part for me was you've got a company now that we have around 9,000 agents and about 1,000 people at our home office uh, in Waco. So we got about 10,000 families 10,000 people that are counting on you to make uh, the right decision. And the magnitude of that, um, it, it, unless you try it on, you know, you could relate it to watching guys on the field at the NFL because you played in high school and college right. thinking, dude, I would get out there. You don't understand the speed of the game until you're on the field mm -hmm. with that level of an athlete. And at this level, um, you know, that was really hard to figure out. And the other thing, Simon, you know that our company is filled with um, with great leaders. And so when you're trying to lead, think about this, trying to lead people who've been here twice the time that you've been here and done four times as much, 10 times as much. There's a lot of uh, finessing and trusting God that, that you've got to do. Um, the other thing on, on the challenging part to me is really understanding the life of an organization and how the vision of the organization has to be driven by the purpose. And so, you know, like, I, look, we, 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 when you first get started in American income, you're just wanting to win a contest and, mm -hmm. and you're, you're trying to get the gas card and you're trying to win the Maserati and the raffle or whatever's going on. And then all of a sudden somebody dies and you're involved in a claim and you realize every hair on your neck stands up and, and you get goosebumps all over your body. And you're like, I didn't realize 
like we're really here selling life insurance, man. People are really dying and they, you know what I mean? Things are really happening. You, you understand the reality of, of the business and how early on you just think it's about, you know, the hustle and the grind and the money and the fun and the just trying to beat your buddy and trying to be the top dog in the office. And all of a sudden you realize, man, there's a purpose in this business is so much greater than just, you know, some of the uh, financial things that rewards that we get from it, man, we're out making a difference. We're impacting people's lives right now. American income life is protecting 45,000 new families every single month. And I'm proud of that. You know why? Because nobody thinks about it. Everybody just puts it in a drawer and forgets about it. But all of a sudden, one day you become the most important person in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the number of claims that we pay out, it just blows my mind, the reality of our business. And so I take that, I, I take that very, very seriously. You know, the purpose, if you, if you really believe in the passion and the purpose of the company, it's what gives you the momentum to overcome the obstacles that are going to come in business. And they are going to come, mm-hmm. right? We're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Obstacles, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's been, a, it's been amazing. It's been amazing right. to see yeah. how we have adapted as a company, uh, all the way down to the agency levels to going virtual yeah. with COVID-19. I mean, it just changed yeah. the, the, the game completely game for all of us. Right. If somebody would have told me 90 days ago, <laughs> Hey, uh, you're not going to be able to go see anyone in person period for right. the rest of the year. Okay, I would have been like on my knees somewhere telling Natalie, we might need to look. I don't don't know how I'm going to how are we going to do this? And man, within a few weeks, uh, not only did we do it at the corporate level, making it all possible, those quick adjustments on the fly to 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 be able to make it possible. But our people to go out there and actually do a better job. You know, I know we broke our all time record. Our agency uh, during COVID-19, we plan on breaking that record currently uh, right now this month of July. And we're not we're we're not in most of our territories. We're not able to see anybody, you know, in person. So thank you, you know, for what you did and and what the the people at the company did behind the scenes to make that happen. What what is it? What has it been like for you? You know, I know I had the opportunity to to sit front row when you brought in jerry jones to speak you know the the owner of the dallas cowboys i mean it's it's one yeah. of the most storied uh most popular i mean that they call it america's team america's team yeah and so here i am sitting front row because of what we've done you know with with our company to listen to jerry jones and then you know i know uh, it, it, it used to be Gene Upshaw, but on our labor advisory board now is D. Maurice Smith, who is the NFL Players Union president uh, and all that stuff. But could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what what has, you know, your experience with Jerry Jones been like and that whole uh, us being the, the official life insurance company at the Dallas Cowboys? What's that what's that been like? Yep. Yeah. Let me do that. Let me take one quick step back. And I, I want to say this. I want to say, because uh, I've had a lot of people uh, say, hey, Steve, with the virtual transition, man, you did such a good job, this, that, and the other. Let me, let me just like break a, a, a little myth. Um, one thing that I will tell you from being in this business for a long time is all the great ideas, all the great ideas come from the field. 
And I want to give the field a lot of credit because there were some SGAs that reached out and started talking about how we could do our business virtually. And from there, it was just my job to execute the idea that you guys gave. But I want to turn and also give a tremendous amount of credit to our parent company, Globe Life, uh, Larry and Gary, the co-CEOs there that own American Income Life. You know, I went to them and I said, look, this is what we need to do and we need to do it fast. And I've got to tell you, their ability to make a quick decision and put the proper resources behind it is what has allowed American Income not not just to survive, but to thrive during probably, you know, they call them business disruptors, Mm -hmm. Simon, probably one of the single largest business disruptors in modern history. No doubt. And not only did we just survive it, but we're thriving. And so I just was in between, you know, globe in the field. And uh, really that's sort of what my job is, is to, uh, you know, to work in between those two, uh, those two groups of people and make it happen. I, so, you know, thankful on both sides. I had friends, friends of ours, you know, reach out and, and say, you know, ask me, you know, fellow entrepreneurs, how's everything going? You know, how's, how's, uh, and I almost felt bad to tell them the truth. You know, who really right. wants, who, who's at a down moment running a business and ask you, how you doing over there, man? And, and wants yeah. to hear you say, we're breaking records, buddy. Are you really? You know what I mean? And, and so it was almost hard for me to yeah. deliver. So yeah. it, w- what we yeah. ended up doing, and, and this ain't for show, this is for real, uh, is we just started to step up our giving. You know, we started to give yeah. more things. We started to seek out more things. I almost felt like partially undeserving of 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 the greatness that was coming our way in, in mm-hmm. a respect of I got to do more and give more if I'm one of the people that's out here that's blessed to be able to still continue to do business and, and, uh, and, and have success. And I know that you've been, uh, that that's been your spirit for as long as I've known you, you know, the, the youth program, uh, that, that I started in, in Youngstown, inspire minds. You've been one of the main, uh, contributors and, and supporters you and Dana over the years, uh, without even, uh, me asking, I mean, just random blessings, you know, from above have came by way of your family. And uh, so I know giving is is a big part of of who you are, not just on the company side. And we give, you know, one of the things that's that that one of my favorite parts of being on the executive council, you know, for this company is that yeah. you guys bless us with fifteen thousand dollars that just for being on the council, we're able to to give away to, to charitable uh, organizations. Uh, but I know outside of the company, this is the spirit of your family. You know, this is what you do. What what, what you know, what kind of drives you to, to give? What is your mindset in Dana's heart? You know, your wife, what, what does that whole giving thing mean to you guys? So, you know, the, the first word that pops out is responsibility. And, um, you know, I've just always felt like you're blessed to be a blessing. And there's a truth. Both Dana and I, you know, feel, feel very strongly the same way that, um, you know, it's a responsibility of ours. And we've been so blessed beyond, uh, our, our wildest dreams, uh, what we could have ever imagined that, you know, we, we, it's just, it's something that's in us. And, um, you know, 
it it feels good because I've been on both ends of the deal. Mm-hmm. I've been on the receiving end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Best part. I've been on the receiving. Me too. Right? I've been on the re- Yeah, I've been on the receiving end, and so I know um, what that end of it feels like as well. And um, you know, a lot of it's faith driven for us as well. Um, there's no doubt. Um, and we just know that, you know, you can't outgive God and, you know, we just like, even like, it's kind of like you had mentioned Simon, uh, you know, that the other night you was thinking about not going on a run and then uh-huh. something inspired you to go on a run. And you was, yeah, I think you, you were talking to Parker. Yep. I think it's the same, same way with giving like every once in a while, even when you don't feel like it, that's when we go and, and, mm-hmm. and, and do it. And, and just out of, uh, uh, sense of responsibility really would be the best way I could tell you. What, what about, I, I didn't get a chance to get your feel on, on the Cowboys thing, you know, cause that yep. to yep. me, I've been, I've been with the company a while now, uh, going on 15 years in, in, in a couple months, it'll be 15 years for me. And, uh, for me being a sports fan and specifically a football fan, you know, playing college yeah. football, uh, to to be able to be there and 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 sit there and listen and meet and be around the same room of Jerry Jones and just us. Yeah, you know, it's not yeah. like Jerry Jones yeah. and a thousand people yeah. or ten thousand people. It's no. just Jerry yeah. Jones and and us. Was, you know, what has that stuff been like? You know, for you because I know you've gotten even closer than me. Man, it it was uh, very inspiring. You know, from you know. Obviously, or I don't know if, if, if any of your listeners know, but his story starts in the insurance business. And when he told his yeah. story and it being so similar to what so many of us do and have done, it was very, very inspiring. I'm just like his story was super inspiring. But what was really neat behind the scenes was just how humble he was. I think a lot of times, you know, you see people in like the media and and, you know, little clips of one type of thing. The guy was just, I mean, you wouldn't know he's a billionaire, super down to earth, humble, want a picture, let's talk, you know, just very, very casual. And so, um, you know, it's just a reminder uh, that people are people, but you could tell um, that there's a tremendous amount of wisdom there that comes from a long storyline of ups and downs and some of the ups and downs were just mind blown, mm-hmm. you know, that, and so it, it was, I'm so glad we have that relationship with them and them being here in Dallas. And we look forward to doing so much more with them. Now on the flip side, <clears throat> this kind of interesting, uh, D D Murray Smith, you were talking about, he's the executive director for the NFL players association. And so what his job is, is taking care of the players. And so what you, what's, what's, Awesome. So I, I only met uh, D one time. Uh, I was in DC and uh, one of our PR team hooked it up and we got to meet D and, and sit down and talk with him probably for a couple hours. And I was blown away how passionate he was about his job. And what I mean by that is his job is to get the most for the players, to take care of the players, everything to do with the players. It has nothing to do with the NFL and the owners. It's almost like, you know, and I think by trade, he might be a lawyer, if I remember correctly. Um, So his job is to fight to make sure when their name's on the back of a shirt, they're getting paid. When it's on a cup, they're getting paid. 
their contracts, their, their retirement. I mean, this guy has a fire burning passion to take care of his people. And that's what any good leader does is they fight for their people. And so, um, I tell you what, he was a ball of energy. Um, I said, I got to get this guy out to speak to our agency owners at some point, Simon. He was a lot of fun. Um, and it's exactly how many SGAs are for, for their people. You're fighting to make sure your people have the best yeah. opportunity, get yeah. the best resources, yeah. best offices, you know, to, to make their deal go. And so it was, it was very neat to, to hang out with him and get to know him a little bit. Well, you know, the... The, I, I remember you telling me that story, and that's that's uh, super cool. You know, I, I know it's a transition because my whole up, you know, bringing in sales here, I used to always, you know, point to Gene Upshaw, you know, on yeah. on, a, on our labor advisory yeah. board. So I've had to even reteach myself. It's D. Maurice Smith. So I, I look forward to being able to put a face uh, with the name. Yeah. But you know, as we as we wrap up. You know, I, I had one more thing, but I don't know if you, do you have anything before I, before I wrap just, up. Just a couple things, man. Uh, I, I I know you and the family like to go fishing a lot, right? Is it? Is, oh yeah. Is that some of your hobbies? Yeah. Well, we went yeah. fishing. I, I don't know if you. We went with, to to Florida, not too long ago. Uh, we actually caught a, a shark. I want to tell you since I know you're into fishing and I, I you know this is what you do. You and Parker, right? Yeah. So we caught a, yeah. a, a shark as big as him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost. Oh, yeah. And a groper, yeah. what, five feet. What? Yeah. What type of groper was it? Was it groper? You're the what, what, groper. I'm gonna grope you. It was, was grouper. Grouper. You're the, a groper. Oh, look, the yeah. grouper. <laughs> you be groping. <laughs> they said that that was me. Hang on, now that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> they said the grouper was him because because it, it was. It, they said yeah. it was 400 pounds. Yeah, crazy. So they said, the can you imagine? They were the like, what was it like? You know, how can you explain but, it? Listen, I was seasick. I was bouncing yeah. from oh, it was bad for Soon me. Bro. I was on the way out. I was going. Sick. Oh, but it, it, you were a trooper though. Yeah, I thought you were going to ruin the yeah. trip. Uh, I, I literally thought we were going to have to turn it no, back around for Pern. No, he was no, he was I done did, for. Yeah. So they say you got the keys now. How does it feel? I don't so think he understands what you, that means. The keys. They say you have the keys now. How does that feel, boss? Yeah, the keys yeah, meaning I, like the keys to the car, like running the keys. show, running the ship. Oh, yep. I, I tell you what, um, Perm. I will tell you this, uh, you know, you, you think you're going into a position and it's, and it's a leadership position, right? Yeah. It's all about leadership. But what I found out is it's really about stewardship. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you look at our company, you have Bernard that ran it and then you had Roger that had it from 99 until recently. And in my, my time will only be a moment in time. I will only be a small part of American income's history. The one thing this thing does is grow. Yeah. The one thing it does is get bigger and it's way bigger than any one person. You know, when Bernard left the company, I don't know if you knew this, but it grew. And then Roger left and it grew. And many great SGAs have left the company. And what does it do, Simon? It grows. It's growing. And um, my job is to be a good steward of the business, to yeah. take what has been given to me and make it better it. and leave it better right. for the next generation. And, and, and so uh, how does it feel? It's heavy, brother. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's heavy. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, Simon, you know, people always say, you know, what, what do you got to do to be successful, Steve? Or, or what are two or three things, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, would, would make me successful? Yeah. And I know you get that question a lot as well. 
And um, what I'll tell you know what I what I would tell you is the first thing is you you know you got to find God's calling on your life, and that's a big one. You know, because like when you're 20, 25, it was like, Lord, what I, you know, I, and I can't really help you with that. But what I mean by that is if you can find, if you can figure out the gifts that you've been given and figure out a way to use that. So this word success, Perm, really, it's a big, broad word. I mean, when people, you know, I always kind of wonder what people, when they say successful, what do they mean by that? You know, like, you know, yeah. So, so like, it's not the amount necessarily in your check. Right. Um, because if you're fulfilling your purpose and using your gifts, yep. you look, there's many people with a lot of money that are miserable, yes. miserable yep. people because they have no purpose, no, no fulfillment in their life. And, and so success can be defined so many different ways, uh, you know, but what I will tell you in general is you know, if you find what your gifts are, if you pick the right partner in life, mm-hmm. man, that's that's a big one. That's a big one. You know, a, a big, a big, big piece of of you know what what I've been able to accomplish has been through a a partnership with my wife. Mm-hmm. She's been an encourager. She's been there to pick me up when I was down. Um, I remember a story, Simon, that that Dana told me. Actually, her dad told me. Um, and I, I think they wouldn't mind me sharing this when, when Dana was young, a couple of guys came to her dad and said, Hey, we want to start this business. And it was a business that he was very familiar with. He was in, uh, pipe fitting and construction (coughs) and he needed a certain amount of money to get started. And the only way he could do that would be to take a second mortgage out on his house. Mm -hmm. And so he went to his wife and said, Hey, there's this great business opportunity. Here's what we need to do. And, and his wife, absolute Dana's mom, absolutely refused to take out a second mortgage on the home. And he said, the bad thing was, is the other guys went ahead and went into business. And I spent the next 10 years working for them, watching them get super wealthy, becoming millionaires. And I think that story hit very, very close to home with Dana because Dana has always been a, a, a champion of anything that I want to do. She's go always get, been go. so much in support of it. And, you know, pick the right partner. The last thing I'll tell you, this is one that I think um, most people wouldn't expect, but it's been a critical piece to, I feel like mine and Dana's success, um, in terms of uh, what we've been able to do as a family and it's something called delayed gratification, which isn't mm. super popular with, with our young people, with our young people. Um, everybody, we live in a credit card society, man. Yeah. You know, Swipe like uh, yesterday I wanted some, some Swipe new it. earphones. Um, I wanted these, I, I pod pros. pros. I had the regular ones, but I was like, I need the pros. <laughs> need the pros. So I get on Amazon and boom, same day they're here at the house. I was like, wow. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, usually I got to wait a day or two, yeah, three days, uh, especially since COVID, you know what yeah. I mean? With all the deliveries and everything, but bam, these babies were here, you know, same afternoon. And, and, uh, this delayed gratification, the reason why I bring it up is <clears throat> something that Dana and I were able to do early on really helped us out a few different times by delaying <clears throat> and not buying certain things. Yeah. 
when we went through a tough time in our business, <clears throat> we had the money to pay for it. We had the, you know, we had the money to, to, you know, to, to get through some of the tough times, but more importantly, people always ask about, you know, opportunities. And what I've told them is, you know, in your life, I don't know, you might have five good opportunities that come in front of you, maybe less. The question is, when the opportunity comes, can you capitalize on it? <clears throat> and I've been very fortunate that I've only had a couple, I'm talking about home runs, home run deals that came in front of me and I looked at it and because we had delayed, because we hadn't lived beyond our means, mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying we didn't live comfortable and I ain't saying we didn't have nice things, but because we did delayed, we were able to capitalize on some of those opportunities and those turned into game changers, <clears throat> you know, for, for the family. And I can tell you, I, there were, uh, other people say maybe even family members that I said, Hey, here's an opportunity. And they, they couldn't make the play cause they had pretty much spent everything they had. And so, um, you never know when those are going to present yeah. themselves. Um, but those are a couple of key things for me, you know, find what your purpose is, understand what your gifts are. Pick the right partner. I say that because huge, you know, Freddie, Freddie always says she's either on your side or, or on, on your, your back. back. Right. <laughs> and uh, I've been so blessed to have Dana on my side this entire time. Truth. Uh, and, and it just makes you so much stronger as a person. And then be prepared, you know, whether it's American income life was, you know, whether it's a CEO thing. <laughs> and I'll end with this, Simon, and and because I know we got to get off here. I think everybody thinks that once you're successful, that everything's easy and everything's easy in life, Perm, and you don't have to you don't have to sacrifice anymore, mm -hmm. and there's no more adversity. Well, Simon can tell you, back in 2015, my business was having the best year it had ever had, and I made a decision to go to the home office. And for the next four years, I lived in an apartment. I flew out on Monday morning, flew back on Friday night, got home at seven o'clock. Wow. And for four years, when my son was in high school and my daughter was wrapping up high school, I lived in Dallas while they lived in McKinney. We didn't need to do it for the money. Okay. Right. We had, we'd already had that all taken care of. We'd already moved all around the country and done everything that we needed to do. We, we did it for, for me. You mean they lived, in, they lived in Houston and you lived in Dallas. Yeah, they li yep. okay. Yes. I lived in Dallas. They lived in Houston. And so, what, what the point I'm trying to get across to you is 400 plane flights, 400 four plane years. sites. Wow. 400 plane flights. And, and, you know, Monday through Friday being gone from the house in, and there are new agents or people getting started saying, Oh, I got to miss something tonight. I missed everything Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> yeah. Friday night yep. until Friday at seven yep. o'clock at night. And so when I didn't have to do it 15 years deep in this deal, when essentially, you know, we're on top of the world. But I think that's the thing that I hope we get across to somebody on the phone call today. It's that mindset mm -hmm. of you're always going to have to continue to give up, to go up. It never right. stops. You can't Amen. be afraid of it and understand that it's only temporary. My family's here now. We have a beautiful home. Everything's okay. Right. Everybody's calmed down. It was just a moment in mm -hmm. time where we had to put things on, on hold. Ooh to make greatness happen and things, you know, come together and it's not that long. So if you're out there, 
pay the price, pay it faster, pay it harder. Be look it in the eye, man. Get, you know, get excited about it, knowing yep. that it's going to be behind you in a short period of time. And I think once you get started, you know, sometimes that's the hardest part. Hey, Amen. I love it. 400 flights to now on your own flight, right? Your own jet, right? Let's go. Let's on, go. The, on the PJ, baby. The PJ. Not the projects no more. That's the private jet. <laughs> Not your pajamas. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you this, man. That to, first of all, thank you for, for cutting Absolutely. time out for us to be, to be on the grindcast with us. Uh, but, you know, genuinely, I'll tell you, it feels good, man, to, to, to know that, you know, regardless, I'm going to go hard for my people. I'm going to go hard for my family, regardless of who's in office. You know, just like, you know, I don't care who's the president of the United States. I'm still right. going to be an American. I'm right. still going to keep it pushing and keep on grinding. Right. But it does give me a little bit extra of a boost and extra confidence to know the type of man that you are. Uh, sure. the type of husband that you are, the type of father that you are, and the type of friend that you've been for me. You know, mm -hmm. before all of this, uh, we were friends first, you know, and, and peers first, man. Yeah. And and uh, I, I can just tell you for the listeners out there that are with our company uh, that you couldn't have a better person. And, and even with Larry and Gary, you know, at, at Globe, I mean, just the future couldn't be in better hands of better character people uh, than the people that we have, you know, currently right now up sure. there, which which includes you, man. So thank you for being sure. you. Thank you for your time, Absolutely. and thanks for joining us Appreciate on another you. episode of the Grindcast. Get ready, it's a new day. Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying, trying, told, trying, told him I'm a beast, bud.